Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Samoz, and I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Denise Borges. How are you, Denise? I'm doing great, and how's the most outstanding um, chairperson <laughs> of any Portuguese-American organization throughout the entire nation? <laughs> I'm going to start limiting you to just one adjective. <laughs> That's what I did. I just used one adjective, outstanding, this time, okay? <laughs> well, this is our first Politicus episode of 2021, so right. excited. Uh, we're starting our fourth year of this podcast, and um, we've we've interviewed uh, many Portuguese-American elected and appointed officials and folks in, in um, public service and civ in, in the civic world. And today we have Mayor Bob De Silva, who is the first mayor of East Providence, Rhode Island. And, and Mayor De Silva will actually explain to us what that means to be the first mayor. But welcome, Mayor De Silva. Well, thank you so much, Angela and Denise. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to come and speak to you today. Thank you. No, thank you for your time. So, um, you know, as with all of our guests, we read a little bit about your background and you have quite an um, interesting background with a career in law enforcement. And then you were in politics for a while. You took a hiatus and, and uh, now you're serving as mayor. Can you give us a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are? Sure. Yeah. No, we can go way back. Uh, you know, my parents emigrated here from the Azores and like a lot of Portuguese immigrants, they wanted a better life for themselves. They worked in, in manufacturing and factories and I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be raised with some really good values, hard work and, uh, you know, education. Although my parents were meager means, they wanted something, you know, big for their kids. They wanted them to do, you know, do whatever they want to be successful. And I set my goals on becoming a police officer. I became a police officer back in 1993 and I served in a neighboring community in Pawtucket. And I did 25 years there where I retired as a police captain. Uh, it was a tremendous, uh, you know, experience for me. Uh, I, I was able to help a lot of people in my career and learn a lot. During that time, I had moved to East Providence uh, in 1997 and became involved with the community in different aspects, different ways. Really loved East Providence, loved, loved the, the, the people here, loved the work ethic and, and the just just what East Providence stands for. It's, it's a great community. And uh, I decided to get involved politically, and, and I did. I was elected as a Rhode Island state representative in 2009, uh, actually 2008 election, but I, I took office in 2009 and I served two terms as a state representative that represented part of uh, East Providence and Pawtucket. And, and then I took a break, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I took a little bit of a break, which was good because I've got two children, one who's now 19 and one who's 15, but they were younger at the time. And I got to spend more time with them. I got to focus more on my coaching of soccer. And uh, during that time, we started a, a, a soccer organization here in East Providence, a, a nonprofit youth soccer organization that is became one of the biggest in the state. And I was really, really loving what I was doing outside of politics, coaching, running the organization, you know, spending more time with my family, still working as a police officer. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity came up to run for mayor. And, and uh, here I am today. So as we were reading... The 
city of East Providence was formerly governed by a city council and then the mayor was appointed by the city council. And what I read is that it was more of a ceremonial position. So um, what led the city to make that change to have an elected mayor that had governing power? And so tell us a little bit what that process was like and and how you decided to run for mayor. Okay, we'll do. Uh, um, So basically what happened here in East Providence for many years, we had a city manager form of government. So what would happen is we have five elected council members and they would then hire a city manager to run the, the, the city. That would mean that the, the mayor would be one of the five council members and he would hold that ceremonial title. But uh, what happened is East Providence uh, ran into or had some difficult times. We were under a budget commission, a state, a state budget commission came in and oversaw our finances because we were having some difficulties financially. There was a, a time where we went through four or five city managers in, in less than two years. It was just constant changeover. There was a, some political mis, you know, misdoings by some of the council people who were very involved in uh, trying to get involved with the, the department heads and telling people what to do and coming in and, and directing the, the city manager on everything he should do. And that led to a problem. And the people saw that this was a problem. It was costing us money. I mean, we were firing and letting go uh, city managers, and then that leads to legal actions against us. So the people wanted somebody who would be the leader of the city who would be accountable to the people. And through actions of, of the people, uh, they put together a charter, a charter commission, and uh, they decided to change the city charter to have a strong mayor form of government where the mayor is elected by the people, answerable to the people, and now you have two separate branches of government. You have your legislative branch and you have your uh, executive branch. Whereas before you had the legislative branch, that was it. And, and they controlled the city manager and just a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that was really was not good for the image of the city. And let me ask you a question, uh, Mayor De Silva. In your perspective, uh, a lot of the smaller and mid-sized, uh, but especially smaller cities throughout the United States here in California, where both Angela and I are, lots of the cities, the city I live in has, you know, 78,000 people. That's basically what you just described uh, before your change there in East Province. That's how a lot of these cities here are. Uh, what, in your perspective, are some of the advantages? Because there's been this long debate and it's it's going on a little bit more now in California than what it was in some other parts of the country, than what it was maybe half a dozen years. The, the position of a ceremonial versus, you know, a strong mayor, you know, a, a mayor that hacks uh, the executive powers. What are some of the advantages from your perspective? I, I believe the, the greatest advantage is accountability and long-term guidance. So, uh, you know, we have four-year terms here in East Providence. Mm-hmm. I'm accountable to the people. The people will judge me on my body of work and how I governed during my first term. But the, the greatest thing that this brings, especially to our city, because what was happening with the, the changeover city managers, uh, it was just, it was not a good situation that, that was going on here in East Providence. At least the people know who they have for four years. And I'm able to set an agenda and, and get things accomplished for the city. And, and you can see some of the things that are, are getting accomplished. It's, it's actually visible that you're starting to see that, wow, things are actually happening here in East Providence that hadn't happened for some time. So I hope that 
at the end of my term, when I run for re-election, people look back and say, you know, this was the right thing to do. We, we brought in uh, an elected mayor. He's accountable to us. He answers to us. And he's here for four years. And at least you know what my agenda is, because I'm going to tell you when I'm running, this is what I plan on doing. And if you feel that I'm the right person for the job, I'm here for you. Now, the problem with city managers it, 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 that I saw was you were getting city managers that had no tie to our community. Mm-hmm. You'd get a city manager from outside uh, the state sometimes. We had you know, people that would just be from all over the place. And they were not accountable to the people. They were accountable strictly to the, to the majority of the council, whoever it was that appointed them. So we have a five-member council. So technically, the city manager was accountable to the three votes that got him the job. And to me, that's not accountability to the people. And I feel what we've done uh, in our first two years is we're much more open to the community, much more outreach that happens because, you know, it's a mayor's office now as opposed to a city manager. City manager wasn't showing up at public events. The city manager wasn't showing up at the at the local Portuguese feast. The city manager was never seen. He, he was a person. We knew there was a city manager, but he was never seen in the public, in the community. And that's the part of the difference between mayor and city managers that a mayor is somebody who's part of the community, who embraces the community, interacts with the community on a regular basis, sees the residents on a regular basis. Whereas a city manager in years past, my personal experience, they were, they're businessmen. They had to run a city and, uh, you know, they, they got hired two years down the road, they'll be at another city or four years down the road, they could be at another, another state. And that's, that's, that's the difference to me. Sure. Yes. That's um. Sorry, just to jump in. Can you shed some light on why you think that might be? Because it's the same case where I live in Fremont. We have a mayor and a city manager, but our city manager lives in Southern California, so seven hours away. Wow! And he's never he's never there. He's never in Fremont. And so, and my husband works for the city of Fremont, and so you know I hear a little bit about it. And and you know a lot of the city employees are very frustrated by that. So why? Why would you, why would a city hire somebody that literally knows nothing about that city or has no ties? Because they don't have any skin in the game, right? I understand if they're a businessman and they're trying to, you know, run things efficiently, but it just seems like a major disconnect to do that. And I, I think that's the biggest, the biggest down, downfall of city manager form of government is that there is a huge disconnect with the community. I'll tell you the, the main reason why they don't have to. They all, the only people they have to please, the city manager, the only, per, the only person the city manager needs to please are the, the majority of the council that elected to hire that individual as a city manager. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that city managers are all the same across the board. There are some that do, I'm sure, do become engaged. But what I, my experience was is that they would not get engaged with the community at a level that a mayor gets engaged. You know, I, I, I try to go and be seen as much as I can because I represent this city and, and a lot of my social media stuff is me trying to promote our city, to promote our business climate, to promote the great things going on in these province because that's what I feel my job is, is, is to tell people what's going on here in these province, look at all the business opportunities you have, come to our city because my city's success is my success and, and the rest of the residents get to enjoy that success and lower taxes and and great services and things like that. So to me, that's the difference. I think city, a city manager, hey, a city managers, they have uh, a lot of schooling. They have a lot of, of experience, some of them. They get hired to do a job. And to them, it's just a job. To me, it's more of a passion. Indeed. 
And and uh, you, since you mentioned, you know, being visible and you mentioned, you know, being at the Portuguese, you know, FESTA, the Portuguese organizations, uh, Portuguese American organizations in your city, which is, you know, has a, a strong Portuguese American presence, as, as, as you mentioned as well. And of course, your prior experience in the Rhode Island uh, State uh, uh, House from 2009 to 2013. How has the... Portuguese American community. How important has the Portuguese American community in your area, both when you ran uh, for the state uh, as state representative, and now? How important has that connection that you've had with the Portuguese American community? I think it's been uh, it's it's been huge. Uh, it's it's been very important. You know, I, I've been involved with many of the um, social clubs throughout East Providence. We have uh, more Portuguese social clubs in East Providence than anywhere else in the state even combined. I think if you were to take every other municipality and you put together their Portuguese social clubs, I think there's more in East Providence than there are in every other municipality. But uh, it's it's a very vibrant part of our community is the Portuguese people of Portuguese descent. It's still a very, very strong uh, demographic here. And, you know, I, I I take great pride in my heritage. I take great pride in, in what it means to be Portuguese American. Um, and I said it earlier, it's, it's the work ethic. It's what I love about the Portuguese people is they're God-fearing, responsible, hardworking people who take great pride in their families. They take great pride in their in their religion. They take great pride in their property. I mean, I, I mean, that's, that's you know, you, you drive around and, and you can you can see uh, the impact that they've had on neighborhoods. You know, mm -hmm. it's 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 we we're, we're, we're it's a great community. We have a fantastic community. That's not to say though, though that. You know, I just cater to the Portuguese. I'm very sure. proud of my heritage. We have we have a very diverse population here. Uh, we're seeing much more demographic changes towards Latin American, Hispanic. You're seeing that population start to grow here in the community. My wife happens to be from the Dominican Republic. She immigrated to this country. She's also uh, you know Hispanic. So my kids are half Portuguese, half Dominican. I, I'm seeing that throughout uh, you know East Providence. Demographics are changing a little bit. You know. So uh, we, we cater to everybody, but I'm still very proud of uh, my Portuguese heritage and, and what and my family taught sure. me. And have you seen uh, uh, throughout these years, you know, because you have a, such a, a long uh, history with the Portuguese American community uh, from elected official, and you have both the local and the statewide experience uh, in that level, which is, have you seen that the community that, you know, as you mentioned, hardworking, you know, silent in a lot of ways, but uh, do you see the community becoming a little bit more civically engaged than it was maybe 20 or 25 years ago? I, I think... Um what's happening now is you're starting to see the, the, the demographics changing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas at one point I could have pointed out to you, all of our state delegation, our, our, our uh, local uh, delegation was very, very heavily rep represented by a Portuguese community. You're starting to see changes. I mean, uh, you, you've got a, a seat, Uh, one of our house seats that was historically held by a Portuguese American uh, just changed hands this time around to, uh, I think she's African-American or, or, or Hispanic. I'm not sure exactly what, what her background is, but it just changed hands. We just had another uh, Senate seat that was uh, held by um, uh, another gentleman here that changed hands to uh, Latina, uh, Hispanic mm -hmm. woman. So East Providence, the demographics are changing. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's changing. But the, the Portuguese have always been active, especially if you go back 15, 20 years when the Portuguese social clubs were really at its height. 
you know, when the membership was at its highest, just like any civic organization, and I'm sure if you speak to other people, civic organizations now, as they get older, what's happening? The younger people aren't, aren't joining, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, some of these civic organizations are starting to lose membership as, as the years go on, unfortunately. Uh, and it happens with every, every uh, ethnicity. Uh, and it's important for us to keep the young people involved, you know, to keep that those traditions going. Indeed. And just to make a little bit of a, of a switch here from the community to, as you mentioned, you are mayor, of course, of the entire community, whether, whether whatever ethnicity uh, they are from, and, and your background in uh, law enforcement. Do you think that the background in law enforcement has helped you in uh, public service uh, beyond in, in elected public service? Has that been uh, a force that has helped you not only with visibility, obviously, but also with connecting to local communities? Because that's what you know, good policing is, obviously. I, you know, Denise, that's, that's a great question. And, and you know, I've, I've sat here and I've had discussions. So let's, let's look at this whole situation, right? So I was elected as the first mayor. And I, I had to enter into something that the city of East Province had never had, an elected mayor. So what that involved was changing cultures mm-hmm. and, and having to, to deal with ever-changing dynamics and situations. And I think me having been a police officer probably was the best training, because I did 25 years in different capacities. It was probably the best training I ever could have had to deal with ever-evolving situations, emergent situations that happen quickly, and then you have to come up with a quick solution because that's what I was, that's what I'd been doing my whole life. And and especially having gone up the ranks where I served as a manager at different levels, I, I believe, I, I really believe that that helped help me take on a role as mayor because basically it's the same thing. I'm I'm just I'm just the boss and I got other bosses that work underneath me. And it's almost like a police department. You know, you have your chief then you have your major, your captains, and everybody else, and and you just delegate and and hold people accountable to make sure that that those uh, projects get done, and it's it's very similar. And then, right after I, I take over, don't forget now I had to change the culture of the way things were done here. We had to change the culture. That that was probably that took a little bit of while to, to do, and then we get hit with a pandemic, sure. and there was no there was no manual for that pandemic situation. Say <laughs> you know so so we got hit with a. We got hit with a pandemic, and I really believe having the background in law enforcement and having my background in dealing with crisis management uh, really did help out in, in this situation. And, and I feel uh, that East Province has done fantastic. Uh, we've we've done great throughout this this pandemic. Are we hit, feeling the the financial hit like some municipalities? Mm-hmm. Yes, but not as bad. So we're, we're doing okay. And how, what do you feel goes into that affirmation that you just made that you haven't been hit as hard as some other municipalities as far as the economic constraints uh, and the economic punch that many uh, small and mid-sized cities and even large cities have felt due to, to the pandemic? What has, how have you treated uh, this pandemic, uh, you know, w- without, without any of the, of the manual to go to? <laughs> well, I, I think what happened is that from day one, uh, the, the, the minute we, we, learned that how we became involved the minute we learned that one of our school teachers whose husband was an, is an educator in a, in a another municipality he was the very first confirmed case of covid-19 and she being a household member worked as a school teacher in one of our school buildings when we heard of that on a sunday uh, superintendent contacted me to let me know we mobilized our our team and we got working on 
the COVID response. We had been talking about it already, but we activated the team. And from day one, from that very first moment, we got together on that Sunday and it's just been nonstop. We, we have regular meetings. Originally, when we first started, we were having daily meetings to discuss, you know, what we were doing, the plans, uh, and things kept changing. Things just kept changing. But as time went on, we, we went down to like three meetings a week, then two meetings a week. Now we do it once a week where we get together with all the team and just discuss how we're handling the COVID uh, pandemic, which our team, we're right on the forefront of doing a lot of, uh, of the things that we had to do to protect our residents. But financially, why are we in better shape than most municipalities? Because we are, we're, mo we're much more, uh, our finances are much more uh, based on uh, residential. And we have a strong residential base. Other municipalities that are, that are reliant more on hotels and, and commercial, uh, like retail and things like that, those are the ones that are having a difficult time right now because hotels, restaurants, they're all feeling the pinch. But East Providence, we're not just we're not one dimensional. We're not just reliant on uh, you know hotels and and restaurants. We have businesses, manufacturing. We have a strong uh, home ownership base. A lot of the people who live in East Providence own their homes, live in their homes, and in uh, East Providence is such a desirable place. We're building a brand new. $189 million high school that started before the pandemic and the funding has been allocated because we went out to, you know, we, we went out to get bonds. So we're in the process of completing that school. And what's happened is people want their children to go to the best education, the best school opportunities available. They're looking at these problems like, Hey, I want to move these problems. So our housing market has been so hot during this, during this, uh, this whole pandemic, the home sales, they, they stay on the, on the market for, not even a week, and they're turning over because people want to live in this community. It's a safe community. It's got strong leadership. It's got a lot to do. It's just a beautiful community. That's uh, interesting about the housing market. Um, I, I guess it depends on where you are, but you know, where we live in the Bay Area, I would say it's not slowed. It slowed down a little bit, but I, I, we've all been surprised at, at how the housing market is still going strong. And like you said, you know, houses don't stay on the market very long, that sort of thing. So it's it's interesting that even in a in a pandemic and where the economy is is being affected, housing is is, uh, is still something people need. You know, uh, people people are looking to make a change. People need a place to live in. And uh, just to, I'll share with you, we have we have about a thousand. Now this is resident. Uh, this is residential rental units coming up. We have about a thousand units total uh, being developed throughout the city. You know, so that's rental individual. You know, like one, there's a bunch of projects throughout the city that's in the process of permitting or being built. That's going to bring a, an additional 1,000 rental units to the city, which is is great. You know, yeah. a vibrant community depends on people. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of people, we are coming up on our our time, but beyond the pandemic, there's a lot going on in the world, at least in our country. Um, you know, politically, socially, and so. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you said you were having, um, it was daily meetings at first, and now it's weekly meetings. It's gotten down to weekly meetings. What uh, what kind of conversations are you having with, you know, your city council and other folks, you know, that, that run the city about how do you handle some of the the turmoil that's happening in our world today? And and has has that affected your city specifically? You know, have you had any protests or anything like that? What's, what's that been like? 
I don't think anyone's escaped that. Earlier in the in the summer, we did have a, a little bit of a of a gathering of a, of a I wouldn't call it a protest, but it was a very controlled and peaceful gathering of people who wanted to come and express their dismay at what happened with uh, with uh, the Floyd incident. So um, I think, uh, look, it's 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 difficult for everybody. You just got to give people their their due respect. What happened recently in in Washington? I mean, that's uncalled for. And uh, I've said it to people, and I'll say it again. I don't care what side of the of the argument you're on. There's no room for the type of violence that we saw and vandalism and burning down of buildings that we saw in the summer. There's no room for that. And just like there's no room for what happened at the Capitol with vandalizing the Capitol and, and assaulting police officers and things like that. So I think we. it's unfortunate that you look across the country and it seems like people have lost a sense of civility. And whatever happened to Martin Luther King's uh, you know, way of thinking of like protesting doing it peacefully, doing it in a manner where you, you garner respect as opposed to what we see today in, in society. It's, it's disheartening. And I would just be a little bit, uh, I think our, our uh, listening audience would also want me to ask this question. So having a, a background in, in, in law enforcement and of course the, um, but being elected, you know, to the state house, you know, from the uh, democratic party, what's this, what's your, your what, what's your position as a mayor having to deal with obviously all these different departments, including the police department and the whole defunding the police issue has, uh, do you think that issue has affected your community or how do people look at the role of law enforcement in a modern world that's different than when it was 30 or 40 or 50 years ago? I think um, I think there's always room for improvement. Look, I, I'd be foolish to say that when I got hired, when I was hired in 1993, uh, policing back then to when I retired changed dramatically. It was 25 years. Things change. There's always room for improvement. The very positive thing that I, I'm, I'm faced with is that here in East Providence, there's a lot of respect for our law enforcement. Uh, our police officers are very engaged in the community. We have a great SRO program where they, they, they're engaged with the students in the schools. And there's a lot of community support for our police department. But when I hear defund police, I, I, I think that's the wrong terminology. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be about defunding police. It's, it should be about how do we bring in other policing technologies or methodologies or, or ideologies to prevent use of force or to prevent uh, people getting hurt or injured in, in police interactions. And, and that could be a number of things. I don't think you need to defund. You need to keep your, your level of law enforcement up. I'm, I'm a big supporter of that. I would never want to defund our police. But if I can find additional funding to bring in uh, other method, methodologies or other ideologies of, of, of thinking where we can interact with the public and keep them safe, then we'd be for that. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I think it's the importance of terminology. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, most times it's the wrong term used to describe something. But I, I couldn't agree with what you just said. And, and also, thank you for your service in, in law enforcement. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a noble, very noble profession and not one that I think many people truly understand the, the risk that you put yourself at um, to protect all of us. So thank you. Thank you. 
I would like to. I think we're coming up on the end, as uh, Angela said. But um, uh, Mayor da Silva, as um, you know, as as a someone who was uh, born and raised in the United States, but parents who came from uh, another part of the world, so uh, uh, immigrant son, and uh, a lot of our Portuguese Americans, a lot of our listening audience, of course, throughout the U.S. are either immigrants themselves, or it was their parents or grandparents, or in some cases even their great grandparents that immigrated, but there's still a strong connection uh, with the Azores, with Portugal, and one of our uh, objectives within um, our uh, governmental affairs uh, segment of, of Palcos is to get, of course, more uh, Americans who are of Portuguese background, uh, independently if they're first, second, or third generation, uh, involved in the political world. And sometimes folks look at involvement in politics and they see, you know, the members of Congress or, you know, whether it be the House or the Senate, and, uh, and you know, they look at, you know, that as a possibility. And, of course, that's great. We'd like to see, you know, lots of Portuguese Americans uh, sitting in the halls of Congress. But as it's been said before by many people, all politics are local. And so how do we look at what would you say to young Portuguese Americans who are either you know in college right now and getting out of college, thinking about public service, thinking about uh, going into uh, some kind of a public service lecture position? What uh, words of advice would you give them? And, uh, and a little bit about how important local politics is for the everyday uh, life of, of citizens. I mean, you know, a lot of the, yes, a lot of the laws and a lot of the issues come from the state level or from the national level, but, you know, uh, local politics has a direct correlation with people's everyday life, does it not? I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think uh, local politics more so than any other type of politics is intimately involved with the issues that bother you the most. So it could be something as, as little as a, a pothole in front of your house, uh, the garbage didn't get picked up today, you know, what happened? You know, all these little things, you know, taxes, water rates, it, it impacts you intimately. So people do understand very well who their council people are and who their mayor is. So uh, that's important. My advice to, to anybody, uh, especially Portuguese-American descendants who may be out there uh, and, and are interested in public service, strongly consider it. It's politics makes the world go round. It's part of what everything that happens in your life every day, some rule, some regulation, some funding came through the mechanism of politics mm -hmm. and our freedoms come through the mechanism of politics. You know, it's, it's God given rights. We talk about God given right to liberty and freedom. But the reality is you got the wrong political people in the, in a place and those freedoms could be taken away from you at the stroke of a pen. So get involved, understand that politics is your community and, and make a difference in the world. And, and honestly, I'll tell you guys, I never in the, in my wildest dreams ever imagined that I would be one day the mayor of East Providence, but life, life comes at you, opportunities open up and all of a sudden, uh, here you are, you know? Indeed. Uh, Indeed. So I think that's a great place to end on. And so thank you again, Mayor De Silva, mm -hmm. for sharing uh, some of your time with us and telling your story. Uh, hope that our listeners have been inspired. And, um, you know, if, if they wanted to reach you, uh, do they just go to the website or are you on uh, social media? I'm on Facebook, uh, Bob De Silva, East Province Mayor. Uh, they can also email me direct if they wanted to reach out at may uh, Mayor at eastprovidenceri.gov. And, um, and you know, I didn't touch on this, but I do speak Portuguese, not fluently, like, you know, I didn't go to school for it, but that was my first language. 
Oh, you can. Look at that. You are, you are, you are fluent. Hey, nice. in 30 seconds, in 30 seconds, Mayor De Silva, how you feel about having a governor that's going to go into the administration? I think that I think I'm actually very proud of her and, and I'm I think it's going to be good for uh for her if for the, the country and for Rhode Island. The woman is very accomplished. Uh, very accomplished woman Gina Ramondo. Yeah. Uh I think she it's it's really it's good for uh, it's good for Rhode Island too. I have a great relationship with her. I hope that her success means success here for Rhode Island and for and for East Providence. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And for those who joined us for this episode, thank you for listening. If you have not actually hit subscribe yet, please do so and share this uh, podcast with friends and family. And please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. It will help more people discover Politicus and join the conversation about more Portuguese Americans getting involved in uh, the public arena. And um, with that, we thank you again, Mayor De Silva. Thank you, Denise. And have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. You too. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of PALCUS, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. PALCUS is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about PALCUS and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.